Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. The writer-director, Robert Downey. I'm sure someone else has this question, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out first. How did you think of this? <laughs> um, I had made a couple of films that were in Greenwich Village, and I'd gotten a job at a production house that made commercials for ad agencies, and they started um, an experimental division. And we were making stuff on weekend, which I could go into as funny stuff. And um, one day, one of the guys in our little group, black guy, said, how come you make more money than I do? <laughs> and I said, let's go to the boss. This will be fun. So we went, and the scene in the movie about the rays and the whole thing is exactly what he said. <laughs> and, I, and I said to myself, there's a movie here somewhere. <laughs> and that's how it happened. You know, this movie, of course, this is the 40th anniversary of this movie. And, of course, when it came out in 69, it was ahead of its time. I think it's probably still ahead of the time. Do we agree? <laughs> so, again, to me, the, the fun of this is to have an opportunity to ask questions. So who has the first question? Yes, sir. No, by the way, excuse me. I'm going to repeat. We're recording this for, for the Internet, so I'm going to repeat your question after you say it. I've been meaning to ask this question for 40 years. In 1963, I was made vice president, music director of Benson and Bowles. <laughs> Were you aware of that when you uh, created the character? No, but it's good to know you were ahead of your time. <laughs> The question was, the gentleman says, he was, in 63, the music director of Benson and Bowes, and was uh, Robert Downey aware of it? That's great. What are you doing now? I'm back to where I, what I wanted to be before I went to advertising. I'm performing. I'm a concert pianist. Congratulations. Over here. Yes. I had to do it. <laughs> and the reason was, there was another actor who, who I wanted to play that part, and about a week before we got ready to shoot, he said, I can't do it, I'm afraid of the unions. Well, we were all non-union, and he happened to be in the Screen Actors Guild, and I said, 
come on, man, you've got to do it. I, I'll get you the money you're supposed to get, but we can't go union. You know, the film costs like 200000 bucks. And he said, I'm afraid I'll be thrown out of the union. I said, Errol, please, we'll figure it out. He said, I can't. And so he left. And this guy, Arnold, was the next guy in the door the following day. And I said, he's got a great face. We got to get going because everybody was saying, we're not going to get the film going. So I started with him and I realized that he couldn't learn the dialogue. I, I guess it's the way I write or I don't know what it was. He couldn't learn it. And I got nervous. So the cameraman says, don't worry. You can put anything in there later. He's got a beard. You can't see his lips going. So to me... Way up top. Yeah. Uh, in the small scenes, it was a reefer wheel. <laughs> the question was, in the smoke scenes, with a reefer wheel? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? We're over here. Yes. We can't eat. Please stand up. What format did you use to shoot in? Was it 16 millimeter? No, 35. 35, and we figured the only way these commercials are going to look good is if we shoot the rest of the film in black and white. And so that's, that's what we did, and that's what we chose to do. Now, recently, I'm starting on something else, and I mentioned to the producers I want to shoot in black and white, and they panicked. You know, and, but one of them said to me, be calm, be calm, maybe it'll work out. So I have hope that he'll let it happen. The whole film? I'm trying to think back. Probably about five weeks. Wow. We were in people's offices at night. They'd leave. We'd come in. We'd have to be out at seven in the morning. Stuff like that. Right here. How did you get Ronnie Dyson uh, in the movie? Wasn't he uh, in here at the time? So was she. That's the people that did the face-off, the, the couple. They were both in Hair, and a friend of mine directed Hair, and he said, well, you know, what, what can you use from our production? I said, those two. Her mother, her um, daughter is Shelly, Shel what's her name? Plim Martha Plimpton. That's her daughter. That's her mom in the film. And they showed up one day, and it was just a lot of fun, and, and uh, he's passed on. She's still around. And, and they, they were in Hair for most of the run back in the 60s. Right here, yes. Fred uh, Mason from Ronin Entertainment. How did you fund the film and what advice do you have for players in the company? The question was, how did you fund the film and? What, what advice do you have uh, for funding fledging And what advice does you have for fledging companies? Well, funding. I'll, I got you. I'll tell a story I've told before, and I apologize to Rosemary, my wife. She's heard it two or three times. <laughs> But I think it might apply to what your question is. Um, a couple of films after Putney Swope, a woman came to me and said, I, wa I want to fund a film for you, and you can write whatever you want. I couldn't believe I heard it. And she says, and my husband, you know, he owned Fabergé, and he backed my Broadway production, which was a big success, a musical. And she said, I'd like to just, you know, fund you to do whatever you want to write. So I immediately started writing about eight months later, I had a script. I showed it to her. She said, I love it, but Sam has to see it. And Sam read the script, and he says to me, is this going to make money? And I said, absolutely not. 
and he said to his wife, he's charming, let's do this. <laughs> Get ready. About a year after that, I turned the film in and nobody really wanted to go see it. Some people did, great reviews, bad reviews, this and that. And the distributor said, who distributed Putney Swope, I don't like your producer. I'm gonna let her open the film and pay for the opening and I'll, I'll rent her a theater and then I'll distribute it. I said, oh, okay, that sounds good to me. So the film opened up, started doing all right and she kept it going for about 12 weeks. So she came to me once and she said, listen, Sam isn't gonna, box office was up, box office was down, but now he's starting to distribute it around the country. But he says, enough is enough, Sam says. So I said, why don't you give Sam a blowjob and keep it open? She says, she says, how do you think I raised this money in the first place? <laughs> right here. Well, we, the question was, when were we doing a contemporary version of Putney's Vote? Well, it's interesting. Um, I just finished a script that's only the first eight minutes of what you saw tonight, and it's a woman who takes over, and she's bored with advertising already and says, we got to do something different. And, and she doesn't get rid of everybody. She just keeps the people she's worked with for years. And it's all about now and uh, what's going on, I hope, and blah, blah, blah. We'll see. Right here. Yeah, is he Robert Downey's father? <laughs> <clears throat> what do you expect, it. Iron Nobody Man? Has it, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somebody has to do it. <laughs> right here. Yes. How complete was the script when he, when he started shooting? Was it a complete script or a work in progress? It, it, I think they're all a work in progress. They're never done. I could see today it's still not done, you know, uh, 40 years later. But, no, there was a script. And, uh, but we would, we would try, uh, you know, people would say, that's not how it's said where I come from, you know. And Ant Antonio Fargus, who played the Arab guy, was just in a play on Broadway called Great White Hope. And he would come over every night after work and say, have you got anything for me to do? And I'd say, well, how about something like this? And he'd say, I can do that. And he'd do it and leave. <laughs> and that was his character. And I only had a few things I wrote for him, but I knew I needed somebody to fill that thought. And he just did it. Yes. Hi. Do you keep in touch with any of the people uh, who uh, were in the show? The question is, does it keep in touch with people in the cast? A lot of them are gone. I speak to Antonio Fargas. I've worked with him uh, two or three times since then. Uh, let me think. Arnold's gone, the leading guy. Um, she's, buddy, haven't heard from him. Last I heard, he was in a theater group in Seattle. I was in the 70s. That's the bodyguard guy. Um, here and there, I run into people, and I hear about people, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, but not really. 
And the, and the little fellow was in uh, The Tin Drum, the movie. He was great. He came with his manager and four or five other little people, and I had to pick two. And the ones I picked, I did not know, were brother and sister. So when the... <laughs> That might have helped. <laughs> Right here. Yes, sir. Good phrase. I'm looking at the film now. Is there anything that you would do differently if you were doing that film for the first time? That's a good, that's a good question. And the question was, was it, looking at it now, would he have done anything differently? Back then. Back then. Yeah, absolutely. I could, you know, today I could see, well, I, I would have changed that. I would have, you know, it's endless. Um... Is that my grandson? Oh, hi. Hi, Owen. The one thing I'd never change is you. Yes. Your website, where is this interview going to take place? What's the website? This will be, uh, the, uh, uh, excuse me, the Museum of the Moving Image. So it's movingimage.us. Yes. All right. No, no. You, you had one already. Okay. Somebody listen spoken. Yes. Uh, how did you get Mel Brooks involved? Well, at the end of the evening, the casting lady used to have people sign out. Somebody signed that name. We couldn't know it wasn't him. <laughs> so for years, I mean, Mel Brooks is saying, what the fuck? You got my name on a... He's also, I might add, and uh, I forget what year was the graduate? 67. 67? 67, yes. Okay, anyway, uh, the producer and I had gone up to his producer's office. He had already done the movie The Producers, and now he he was trying to get another one going. We'd gone up there to try and raise money, and he said to me, I had short hair that day. He said, you look like a rich prisoner of war. <laughs> you know, and he just, and then he said, you want to see my wife's tits? And I said, what are you talking about? He says, come with me. So we walked all the way across 57th Street to the Baronet Theater, and he keeps checking his watch. The graduate was playing. And so at a certain time, we went in and looked, and he said, you see anything? And I said, no. He says, me either, but I know she had him out. All the way up top. The question is, what is his take on the moral of the film? Stay out of advertising. It's almost obsolete anyway. I mean, if you look at the economy now, what's going on? I mean, it's desperate. What people are doing, put with ads this and ads that. And there's never any real, in my opinion anyway, real funny stuff. At least back then on television, you would see work by Howard Zeef and certain filmmakers who actually made funny things. So when you saw the product, you say, hey, they're okay. It's funny. 
But you don't see that anymore, and I don't think so anyway. And um, some of those guys went on to make great films. Howard Zeef made uh, Private Benjamin and three or four other films, but he was, he was one of the first guys, and he was like um, a real artist. But advertising now is internet anywhere, anywhere they can do it. And they, don't, they haven't figured it out yet. So I, if there's a moral, I guess that might be it. Oh, yeah, but um, you know, when this film was made, Nixon was president, so it was pretty depressing. <laughs> right here, yes. Um, I was wondering, since you're so timeless, the film, the advertising part, um, uh, you're, you're, I know you're in the business for so long, but to me, I wouldn't change anything of this film because it's a classic. The question is that she says this film is a classic. It shouldn't change a, shouldn't change a frame. Who has another, another question or comment? I like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, sir. How did you go about writing such a classic film? How do you go about writing such a classic film was the question. Fast. <laughs> you know, the minute that guy said what he said, you know, and then we went to the boss and blah, blah, blah. If I give him a raise, I got to give you know, blah, blah, blah. I went home and started right away. It only took a couple of weeks to get the first draft. Now it takes me three years <laughs> to write a screenplay. It's an unnatural act. Uh, but when you do it like that, it's like, you know, you fire it up. You don't want to th not think about it. Yes. Uh, a few years ago... We can hear but Okay. Uh, a few years ago, they did a film with uh, Harry Belafonte and John Travolta. It was a spoof. Do you see any similarities between your film and that film that came out? The question is, in similar between the film that uh, Harry Belafonte and John Travolta did, it's actually called White Man's Burden. It was a spoof. Is the question is, was there any similarities in your mind? I don't. I didn't see it, so I don't. I don't know. Yes. Uh, other than the budget, uh, what was the biggest challenge in uh, doing the film? Other than the budget, what was the biggest challenge in doing this film? I just had fun, and you know. And maybe this might be interesting connected to what you're asking. The other films I had made had done really nicely in Greenwich Village. They ran six months, five months, and then would kind of go around to Cinematech. So when I was finished with this one, I thought this is going to be easy because this is up a notch in terms of clarity and whatever, whatever. And nobody wanted it. This film was rejected everywhere. So... This guy who owned all the theaters in New York, we had one last screening, and the producer guy said, this is it. We have one screening, and Don Rugoff from Cinema 5 is coming. And he, was a, he owned all the theaters in New York, plus he distributed Bergman, Truffaut. I'll tell you a story about him, one of the funniest stories about uh, film distribution. But he came to a screening, and he was late. And I, and, and I closed the door, and I said, let's go. We can't wait anymore. And I'm knocking at the door. I opened. He says, Don Rugoff. I said, I don't care who you are. You know, he says, come on, I want to see the film. So I said, okay, it's a good thing I did. I let him in. He came up later, 
And he said, I don't understand it, but I love it. Let's open it. <laughs> and so we went over to his office and he said, let's open it in two weeks. He liked cinema too. I couldn't believe he was saying these things. And then he brought out this ad. It was uh, this, and it said, up Madison Avenue. And I said, that's better than the movie. And, the d- <laughs> and he said, don't say that ever again. And so he, he opened it, and um, what saved the movie, it was doing very well in a couple of big cities, was Jane Fonda went on the Johnny Carson show and started talking about it. And he called me up the next day and said, watch this. And that made it a, you know, had an audience at that time. Yes. The question is, what was the reaction in the advertising community? I heard from a lot of people. In fact, one guy who's very prominent that my wife and I know, a very good friend of hers and now mine, who they used to go over at lunch to, uh, it was 3rd Avenue and 60th Street, and watch the film, and then go back to work. <laughs> it sounds good to me. Yes, sir. What was the action in the international community? Because I've seen it in London, England. The question is, what's the reaction in the international community? He saw it in London, England. I think that's as far international as it went. I don't know that it went anywhere else, you know, out of this country. But I, I, I know it went to England. I know that. I also played Canada, Montreal. That's oh, that's right. That's right. And Toronto. That's true. Yeah. But as far as other stuff, no, it's never got subtitled or whatever. Go ahead, yes. In terms of the agency reaction, I was working in an agency at the time, and that one commercial with the, with the uh, cereal, where the punchline, no shame, that was put up as the, the, the best example of uh, getting attention, getting line, uh, a punchline. It was better than anything else that was really being advertised. The so this is at Benton Bowes. They used this as an example of... of Put a good punchline advertising. Amazing. Focus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Right here. Yes. Um, I, I read somewhere that this film spearheaded the black exploitation uh, genre. Um, what do you think of black exploitation? Do you consider this to be a black exploitation? question was there was some attribution that this film uh, had influence on black, so called black exploitation genre. And what do you think of that genre? All I can think about when I think of that genre is Pam Greer. <laughs> I don't care about the scripts. <laughs> okay. Oh, we're winding down. Yes, sir. How much, the question was, how much money did this film growth? I don't really know, but I know that, um, that every, all the backers of my producer were very happy. They made money. I had to stupidly give up my interest in it to cover the over, over budget on my next one if it went over and it did go over. So whatever interest I had. And then about 10 years ago, the producer said, you know something, I'm going to give that back to you. And I thought that was great. So I got my 10% back. I haven't made that much, but it's nice to know that he was thinking, huh? I said, how much does that 
he, the, he's asking the question. The ten percent that he gave back. Actually, he's trying to get into. He, are you working for IRS? He's trying to know how much money. I'll give you an estimate. Probably in ten years, thirty thousand bucks. That's it. But in the beginning, if I hadn't given up my thing, it would have been maybe a couple of hundred grand. And in Hollywood terms, quite frankly, that is a lot of money because the definitions of our, our profitization is so egregious that you can make millions and millions of dollars at the box office and see zero. Yeah. Well, I should ask you a question. <laughs> well, it's, it's an inside joke. I did a movie that grossed a hundred and no, no, seventy million dollars in the United States, worldwide one hundred and thirty million dollars, and I've not seen a penny. Boomerang. Yeah, but I like the story when you called the head of a certain company. That's a different movie. Different. I movie. know. Okay. I know, but another movie that made money. You would tell that. It's, it's, your, it's your, your show, man. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just facilitating. <laughs> uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, have you had it before? Oh, no, somebody fresh. Back in the back then. Uh, I was wondering, uh, you mentioned that you were inspired through this because you were doing experimental commercials. What was that like? How did that get started? Is anyone doing anything like that today? The question is about his early inspiration by these experimental commercials. Oh, we were just trying stuff to present to clients to show them uh, at ad agencies how they could try something different. That was our job, to shoot stuff cheap on weekends, anything we wanted. Like my favorite one was, uh, the problem was uh, Preparation H, how to make that interesting. <laughs> so we had, um, it was American Home Products, I think was the name of the company that ran that one. Uh, we had an, an Asian girl summon the camera to come up close to her like this and it zooms up close to her face and she holds up a tube of Preparation H and she says, no matter what your ethnic affliction, use Preparation H and kiss your hemorrhoids goodbye. <laughs> so... We showed that to the boss, and he said, we got to show the agency this. This is great. And we showed it to them, and they, they wanted to enter it in festivals just to show. They were proud that we had done it, but there was no other thing, you know. And then we did another one. Uh, it was called, um, it's Albaline, a face cream. Yeah. We had um, Donna Mills. She was a teenager then, the actress. Uh, we aged her to 120 years old. And every time she wiped this crap on her face, she'd lose 20 years, 20 years younger, 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 younger. And finally, she's sitting uh, in this coffin that she woke up in as a 16-year-old. And it says, uh, Albaline, the, the look younger cream, good for diaper rash too. <laughs> and then it cut to my son, Iron Man, on the floor naked. He was about one. So we did, we did things like that. And gradually, that production company got people to come over more to see what we were up to, whatever, even though the people that were doing the real commercials hated us. You know, you guys are having too much fun. It's not going to bring in any money and so blah, 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 blah. 
But the more they spoke, the more material for a film, you know. Yes. I just thought it was, I, I love your sense of humor, and I, I really like what you said about funny and your appreciation for true funny. And um, I noticed throughout the film all these other directors have completely, I don't know if it's stolen from you or just an ode to you or whatever, but I, I see stuff from Boogie Nights and Austin Powers and all that stuff. And like your sense of humor is just totally replicated all over the place, and I wasn't aware of it because I'm not a, a student of film in any way. But I'm so happy to find out the origin of so many things that I thought are funny over the years. Well, I stole it from real people. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, the, one of the films you mentioned, he called and asked me if he could use the firecracker thing. Yeah, but he's a friend. He's a sweetheart. And I, I love that he did it. And he used it his way, you know. That was great. By the way, he's a great filmmaker. The question is, what agency did you shoot at on locations? And the, 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 the after hours kind of stuff? Is the statute of limitations expired on that stuff? He's asking you where to shoot at night, the agencies? Everywhere. Anybody who had a hallway or an office, we could get in for a couple of nights. So the location manager on that film is really was an amazing person to be able to get us that stuff where we could get in and people trusted us to get in just as long as we, we didn't mess things up or whatever. And, and you know, we would need about it. You've got to have manners. we got time for about three more. One, two, three. The scene with the... Uh, oh, <laughs> All at once. Is that, your, is that your personal production company? No, that, that was a guy who, whose money it was. Okay. Uh, the, scene, the, uh, air, the scene with the airline company when the girls are jumping around. I haven't seen this movie before, but it's interesting because that looks like the uh, genesis of the uh, video home. <laughs> And, and and he's and, f and further, do you remember the um, what video we're talking about? Scream. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. The question. Matter of fact, repeat the question, please. <laughs> well, <laughs> one really question is a joke. Um, the, that that scene that you had when you were advertising for the airline. Lucky airline. Right, and they were jumping up and down. If you look at, at most of the hip hop videos now, it's got like a Hype Williams video video hole type thing happening. I just wondered how you got inspired by the uh, movies. He's saying a, a artistic precedent from the uh, of that uh, that scene in, in uh, music videos. Um, but th actually, that scene is in a, what's what's the video? Um, I'm, I'm blanking her name. Hip hop. Um, it's the same. Who's in here? Uh, Roderick. Missy Elliott. Exactly. It's the exact same set, right? There's actually a, a Missy Elliott video with the same set. She looks very different, though, but yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, listen, uh, before we wrap this up, I yeah. just want to say this is the most fun QA I've ever had. <laughs> And you, have, and you have the last one. 
Who would be, yes? Ever work at an advertising agency? No. Did you ever work at an advertising agency? No, the production company that did commercials for an ad agency. And I thank you so much for sharing it, for celebrating your 40th anniversary with us. Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, <laughs>